welcome to the Delling Pod with me, James Delling Pod. And this this special edition is brought to you in association with Defund the BBC. Those magic words, don't they just make you happy? Don't you think it's a cause you automatically want to want to support? So I'm talking to Calvin Robinson. Calvin actually contacted me and asked me to be on his pod. And I said, well, why don't we kill two birds with one stone and do a kind of double effort? So we're going to be fighting the fight together, aren't we, Calvin? Absolutely. It's a big fight that we've got ahead of us, but I think together we'll, we'll handle it. And by the way, can I say... I'm really happy to see the youth. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm presuming you are youth. You're, you must be under 20. I, I mean, under 30. Uh, <laughs> I'll are take that as a compliment. I'm not, I'm not. Oh my I, God. I've never divulged my not, age on the old? internet, but uh, I'm, I'm older than I look. You, it's, it's the you, genes. <laughs> if somebody if somebody t- told me that you were one of the, the biggest boys in the school, you know, like, like you say you were 18 but looked old, I would have right. believed them. Oh, thank um, you. But mind you, when you get to a certain st- certain age, uh, when you get to be old and fucked like me, everyone looks young, apart from oh. the people who are really old, who are even more messed up than you. Well, yeah, well, I mean, it I, just happens. Mate. I'm a school teacher as well, James, so every now and then at parents' evening, someone will say, are you, are you looking for sixth form? They're over there. And I, I love that. <laughs> that makes me feel great. <laughs> yes. No, well, long may it continue. <laughs> So, so let's talk BBC. I mean, there are so many issues yes. around this. It's a hot topic. It's almost like a national cult, isn't it? I know you've spoken about the NHS being uh, held in, uh, on a pedestal to that extent, but I think the BBC has um, historically been you know, on a no-touch platform. But we're getting to a point now where people are actually fed up of the bias and fed up of the bloat and the overspending and all these things. Uh, where, where do you stand on it? Yep. What's made you think, actually, we need to do something about this? Um... I've been sceptical, <laughs> that's quite a mild word, about the BBC for some considerable time. But I do remember a period not so long ago when I thought it would be okay for somebody like me to treat with the BBC. That it, Essentially, although they were annoying and, and left biased, that they were, they were an institution which well was part of the fabric of the nation and and that one shouldn't reject it outright so as you know i mean i I used to appear on programs like the daily politics i there was a time when i when i appeared on that arts review show which was brought which was made in in glasgow and um who did it martha carney i think was the was the presenter when i was doing it's had had a long it's a long had a long history um what's it called late late review something like that but that, that in itself is a, is a thing that the BBC used to be good at, isn't it? Arts and, you know, looking after things that other stations wouldn't necessarily uh, promote. Uh, absolutely. And, and that was one of the reasons I was quite pro the BBC, mm. that, that the production values were good. It took art and literature and so forth, the, the culture, seriously. You could have conversations which one almost can't have any more. Everything is now so polarised and so politicised that you can only talk about politics, pure politics. Whereas, whereas back in the day, and really not so long ago, you could, you could analyse movies and you could have, you know, somebody like Stuart McConey having his particular view and A.L. Kennedy having her particular view and me having my particular view. And we'd all sit happily in the green room afterwards and I remember one one marvellous episode where Mogwai, 
one of my favourite bands. You know Mogwai? I don't know them, no. Mogwai were... Mogwai were... Well, they did the soundtrack to um, uh, Les Revenants, the, um, the Returned, the, the, that weird, spooky French series. And I, I, you know, I used to enjoy watching them play at Glastonbury and mm. you know, lighting up my spliff as their, as their <laughs> music came on. And they were they they were the band they were the right. band that night on the late review and it was just fantastic and I was sitting they they were playing there and I was sitting over there and I don't know why I'm telling this anecdote except to say that that the BBC was not the the completely malign creature it right. is today I mean today the BBC is so monstrously evil I think there is no question it should be defunded it. it it, it has no purpose other than as a propaganda arm for the for the left uh, and you know the, the, the and the big government and all the all the things that I utterly despise the BBC yeah. uh, is over as far as I'm concerned well this is it is. isn't it like you say you were on panels with people of different opinions there was true diversity yeah. there now now all they're looking at is diversity of a superficial form. You know, they want people of different colours, but all thinking the same, all part of the group think, as, as long as everyone's promoting social justice warrior causes and being politically correct, not stepping out of line, then they're fine. But the moment you say something that they don't like or agree with, you're done. I'll tell you another, there, are, there have been various signs and portents. That, that, and and it, it, I think this decline has happened quite rapidly. It was if you could draw a, a, a line it would be sort of of its decline it would be going like this and then suddenly in the last two or three years whoop yeah like that it's and among the signs of portents i've observed jeremy vine jeremy vine i remember when he used to have when he started his twitter account mm. and i used to often go on the jeremy vine show and we were absolute mates and he never he never oh shut up Oh, hold on, let's get with this call. Yeah, right. So, Jeremy Vine. Um, I used to often go on his show was the, when they needed a sort of token right-wing person. Mm. And he never he never really betrayed his politics. And I, I thought that was admirable. And I thought he was, he was in the finest traditions of the BBC. I mean, the BBC always pretends that its presenters are unbiased yeah. and that this is part of this great tradition um uh although i think this has been more uh, in in the breach than the observer observance recently it's 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 uh i can't think of any any bbc presenter who's actually genuinely impartial but, but maybe Biden, they're impartial to party politics but they're certainly partial to the bbc politics aren't they wait a second what one second yeah need your my card okay Sorry, daughter. It's all right. I'll give you a list. Okay. Okay, good. Um, yeah. Jeremy Vine. Um, I remember when he, he started out on Twitter and his tweets were really quite unpolitical, as indeed... As it, I mean, do you remember this world, Calvin? There used to be a world where, where not everything was political. Yes, I think where it was just before Brexit, wasn't it? Do, do, yeah, but yeah. Do you remember, for example, you? I, I mean, okay, I, I, I still haven't worked out how old you are, but <laughs> I've been on Twitter since it started. Okay. okay, 
GQ and Esquire magazines. Do you remember? Do, oh yeah, I used GQ. to subscribe to GQ back before they went wet as well. They used to be men's magazines, mm. and they used to be genuinely for men. Yeah. And they used to be about things like where to buy the perfect leather jacket, and yeah. what it's like running the gauntlet of snipers in Sarajevo, and and the worst great white shark attacks and, yep. and stuff that you actually cared about stuff that mattered and now it's about like um uh what's the best dress you can wear to a party when you're when you're sort of gender neutral and lewis hamilton wets the bed on on how how the world is racist and and transphobic yeah. and you think this is not your job. This is your job was not to be left wing political, and I, I feel the same. You see um, that that it used to be less bad than it was, and Jeremy Vine is an example of this. That in the early days, his tweets were about the sort of things that old school GQ and Esquire used to used to write about. Just, mm. well, I mean, it, not literally, but they were apolitical. Yeah. And then. He started. I tell you what. I tell you that his his race. He first started getting left wing and edgy. He's a bit of a, 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 a bicycle Nazi, and he started oh, yes. really getting on his high horse about about. Look at this driver who cut me up this morning, and and he should be. He didn't say he should be strung up, but that was the implication yeah. that you know we really should ban all cars now because they're evil. And and frankly, all all us cyclists, we should be made saints because that's what we are. <laughs> and. He's got much, much more nakedly woke and left wing. I think all the BBC, yeah. it's partly maybe it's a, a survival mechanism, but partly it's a reflection of just how left wing that organisation has become. I was just trying to find a tweet that he sent this week, but it seems he's deleted it. Uh, I wrote an article for Spiked saying, you know, I grew up with Auntie Beeb. I loved the BBC. I, you know, I used to watch Doctor Who. Um, I thought it's fantastic. Sci-fi, wishy-washy fun, but nothing serious. And now it's all, it's all lectures on how I need to live my life and how I need to be a, um, a woke person who believes in, in gender neutrality and all these things. Um, and he tweeted back saying, yeah, I've read it. Completely disagree. The BBC is not like that. Um, he seems to have deleted it now, apparently. But doesn't seem to stand by his words but I get what you're saying that there's been a complete shift from this impartiality to a left-wing uh, basis and the BBC you know has been criticized for years people on the right have said it's biased people on the left have said it's biased and I, I really don't think it's pro-labor or pro-conservative or anything it is just pro-woke BBC they've got their own political agenda yes, yes I, I suppose that it would be but given that left and right don't really make it it's, it's not about political parties is it it's no. really about about what you might call the deep state and, yeah. and and the deep state is is um irredeemably liberal left and unfortunately the bbc is very much part of that that it's the propaganda arm of the of of the deep state it's interesting you mentioned doctor who which is obviously a, a, a very good example but even even in the early days the lefty script writers were were inserting political messages against Margaret Thatcher and so on, but mm. they look like amateurs, like like naive fools compared with the, the script writers today, who are so blatant about it. Not least from turning Doctor Who from a man into into a woman, yeah. which is 
why why would you do that why it's it's not as though apart from anything else it's not as though children are exactly short of of female role models because most of their teachers are, are women gone is well, the, gone, gone are the days when boys used to be boys need to be taught by men really uh, uh, we do need I, more I, I male role models absolutely i mean i've got no problem Definitely. with the doctor being a woman though james i think that, that that's fine because in that universe it makes sense what i don't like is the overt lecturing you know about the environment and they have to have companions of every tick box you've got to have a mixed race one a black one a, an asian one a white one or maybe not even a white one these days and it's just so over the top in your face it, they shove it down your throat they're not subtle at all it's the only area where we're going to agree, Calvin, because I, I, I do think Doctor Who should have stayed a man. Look, there were so many. Did you ever see the Sarah Jane Adventures? The yes, Sarah I did, Jane yeah. Adventures were were fantastic with Elizabeth. Was Elizabeth Snowden? Um, anyway, they were great. They were yeah. as actually as good as as Doctor Who, um, and uh, they didn't need to. You know, it, it, it'll be the same when they turn James Bond into a woman. Yeah, you think you'll think? No, surely not. Right. Surely not. <laughs> Oh, that, I, I, that series has, has got that franchise has got so well. I don't think I mm. want to muck around with that anymore. I don't want to waste time. It's disappeared up its own bottom thanks to um, Sam Sam Mendes. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Doctor Who is a facet of a broader problem with the BBC's drama, and mm. you touched on that with the issue of the tick box casting. And it's interesting. I, I wrote a I wrote a long essay for an American American magazine, which which I, I occasionally put put up links to because I'm quite proud of it because it was an, an epic. It was about two or three thousand words long, and I wanted to analyse why it is I find diversity casting this uh, mm. so incredibly annoying. Yeah, and I wanted to. I think it needed length in order to show that look it's not that that you know i'm a a white racist who yeah. can't bear to see people of color or whatever on on tv it's much more basic than that yeah. that i'll give you an example actually and th i don't think i don't think it's even a beat no it's not it's sky but sky's going work as well um well i mean sky news is 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 actually more work than the bbc completely have you seen that have you seen that new series Gangs of London. No, uh, no. I, I, I stopped watching it. But there is. It's about these gangs in London and old school gangs. Right. And 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 there's there's a gang that that is a black gang, and and they're sitting round at a table with the with the old sort of old school East End white gang and stuff. And you're thinking, this is just bollocks. This this doesn't happen. This isn't there isn't a there isn't a black gang like this. It's yeah. not how it works. You know, we um, there are different kinds of black gangs, but they don't yeah. sit down round tables with with old East End gangsters talking about how, it's just rubbish. It's false, isn't and, it? And that's why it's so annoying. I think in in our population, the, um, ethnic minorities, uh, black and ethnic minorities, make up about thirteen percent, especially you know in London metropolitan areas. On the BBC, yeah. in their shows, it's twenty three percent. So they're doubling it. It's they're overcompensating, and it just looks fake. It doesn't represent real life. It doesn't represent real life, and and of course it's not enough. I mean, you know, if it was bad then, you know, like like last year, hmm. think how much worse it's gets now that they've got. It's. I think it supports my 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 thesis that 
the BBC is a sort of branch of the deep state because you you see it, for example, in the fact that BAFTA, um, which, which doles out all the awards mm. that, that directors and producers and writers want to win, now itself has a diversity rule, which means that basically if you don't push the right diversity buttons and or, or transgender buttons or gay buttons or whatever, yeah. you're not eligible for, for an award. So God knows what. Well, we saw it in that contentious uh, poor old, poor old um, Lawrence Fox got into trouble mm. talking about this. Um, Sam Mendes is 1917, where uh, he got in trouble with, when he was he was talking about the implausibility of a Sikh cavalry officer yeah. being being in this in this this truck, which, which 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 he was right on. But what was even more implausible was the scene at the end where you've got this Devonshire regiment, like a Devonshire a county regiment in 1917, about to go over the top, and you see dotted along the the lines these black faces. Well, I'm sorry, but like. There probably weren't any black people in Devon in 1970, let alone in Devonshire County regiments. Uh, but I mean, but when you raise this, you, when you raise this, yeah. you must get shut down like instantly that they say, oh, he's a racist because he doesn't want to see more black faces, etc. That, that's why I'm trying to stand up more for this kind of thing as well, because they can't automatically assume that I'm racist. But I don't need to be overrepresented on TV, you know? Yeah. If but it's a period is, trauma... You're, you're, you you will never be black enough for them. I well, mean, that is the other you, problem. Yeah, yeah. You, there, there is this kind of even if you were sort of Nubian black, right. even if you were sort right. of you know, like from Southern Sudan or somewhere, yeah. uh, they would still say that basically you were an Oreo or whatever yeah. because because no real black person would think the way you do. Well, Therefore, indeed, the amount of racism I've they, received, James, over the last few months from black people for not thinking the same way that they do. I Just because I'm black, I have to automatically vote the way they do, speak the way they do, and think the way they do. That is racist, but they don't understand the irony of that. But but it's interesting you say that. These these black people, I, I mean, I don't think they're representative. But they're a kind of... There's a kind of... They're, they're the spearhead of this lefty, you know, cultural Marxist revolution. Yeah. But I'm sure that actually, if you met normal black people, Indeed. they'd probably think as, as as you do. But it's not just so. Okay, so there's so there's the incredibly annoying issue of the war on verisimilitude, which which seems to have been lost. It's like those of us who believe that art should be about truth, mm. and that 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 good art is is ultimately about truth. I mean, yeah. this is the, the point I made in the essay that 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 comedy how do you judge whether comedy is effective well does it make you laugh in the yeah. same way that i or or to give another example which really annoyed me uh, did you ever see the les miserables um andrew andrew davis's adaptation of les miserables you know andrew davis is this? the doyen, doyen of, of, of bbc classical adapters you know he he was the one that got mr darcy with his wet t-shirt oh. coming out of the lake was this the one um, last year yeah, yeah, I did see. Yeah, yeah. So you had, yeah. so you had a a, a West African mm. looking Inspector Javert. Sure. Yeah. Well, it's set in eighteen thirty with the yeah. best will in the world. I there know. was there was no such diversity then. It's it, and and people say, oh yeah, but it's fiction. Yeah, and I say, yeah, okay. Well, if it's fiction, then would you mind if 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 there were TV aerials um, attached to the houses yeah. or that the streets weren't cobbled? You could see kind of parking meters of course you wouldn't 
period detail matters. Yeah, it's not science fiction. It's, it's not, not fantasy, is it? It is a period drama, like you say. It should be set in that period. Otherwise, it's fake. You, you break the illusion. Otherwise, other exactly. Um, but I can't remember who it was who was saying to me, and this was a good observation. I, I was having a chat. I, maybe it was on a podcast. Maybe it wasn't about the BBC's flagship drama of the moment, the one about the lesbian serial killer. Oh, um, Killing Eve. Killing Eve. Okay. So Killing Eve is is, is typical of this new politicisation of, of, of the BBC, where even drama that pretends to be neutral... Uh, and apolitical actually is deeply political. So you'll notice that all I, I don't really spend much time watching Killing Eve, but but the men in it are much much weaker than the, than than the, the 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 men. The women are are, are sort of gender fluid in a way that they're, they're quite sexually voracious. Mm. And this is the kind of the mix of um, on the one hand the war on the patriarchy, the war on traditional roles. On the other hand, this kind of decadent perversion that you see in totalitarian regimes, this, the Nazis, the, 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 the communists, they all sort of, they, they also, their culture becomes quite decadent and disgusting. Right. Um, and the, that's the BBC in Excelsis, this sort of ultra-violence, but it's okay, the ultra-violence is okay, because all the women are lesbians. Right. Uh, it's all caricature, isn't it? It's it's supposedly my job as the, as one of the spectators' TV critics to to review this stuff. But really, unless I'm ordered to, I mean, in, in a nice way, I'm yeah. asked nicely to. I tend not to review BBC programs anymore because they're not they annoy me and insult me. Well, I was going to say, did you see, ever see Noughts and Crosses, that Mallory Blackman, no pun intended, um, BBC drama, where society is supposed to be reversed in that uh, black people are in the privileged position and white people are the working classes, which is completely uh, misrepresenting our society anyway, uh, to suggest that only black people are in the working underclass and, you know, and white people are naturally privileged based on the colour of their skin. They're saying it's an inverse of that. And it is completely horrible to watch. I don't know if you've seen any of it, but I just I couldn't get through it. I did. I saw I saw the first I mean apart from anything else, Mallory Blackman is a really shit writer. <laughs> it's the, 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 there is a there is a sort of a market which has been cornered by by people who can't write very well, but as long as they push the right woke buttons then they get bought up wholesale by by state schools particularly yeah. and they put on a recommended list and Mallory Blackman is classic that that you know yeah. uh, it because the book is is, is supposedly didactic it, it teaches children about racism it teaches them to think about from a different perspective but and this is one of the things she gets wrong in that that I mean maybe the character develops in subsequent episodes I don't know but I remember there's a scene where there's a there's a a black academic and he's talking about white people and he's talking about them in a kind of demeaning way you know about their about the this is what white people do and they're they you know they're just not, not like not like us yeah and i was thinking actually mallory blackman if your if your satirical point was going to have any meaning if it really was going to be a, a, a version of the world we live in then you would have 
that black academic taking the side of the white underclass. Indeed, he would not indeed. be he would not be preaching hatred or, or, or anything. He wouldn't dare. That's where the she messed the up there. Industry. Sorry? That's where she messed up, isn't it? Because she didn't draw the parallels at yeah. all. Yeah. Well, uh, because, she, because she didn't need to think, because she, she's not a very sophisticated writer. She knew that she, she just had to... She, her audience was left on school teachers. Yeah. Uh, which I, is a big market. James, I thought it was race baiting. I thought it was stirring up antipathy under you know the, pr the pretense of attacking uh, racist attitudes. I don't think it did what it was supposed to do at all. It did the opposite of it. Um, and she, she shoehorned Stormzy into the show as well. And here's another one. I mean, as a school teacher myself, oh, the debates we've had around you know should we replace Mozart with Stormzy? Um, obviously, getting rid of all dead white men now. And I, I know we're kind of uh, going off topic here, but the whole idea that anyone that's white bad anyone that black good so this guy storms he's got lyrics you know shut up fucking shut up fucking shut up shut up how does that compete with a classical uh, piece of mozart it's it's just not on the same level and the idea that we should wipe one part of our culture out replace it with another just to virtue signal it makes me sick well also i'm not sure that stormzy is as good as dizzy rascal i i, I don't know any stormzy i don't know any storm stormzy um songs that are as good as dance with me Although maybe that was calvin harris that, that that made that song so special but um it seems to me that that stormzy sort of put his finger in the air and and, and sensed which way the wind was blowing and realized yeah. that actually his musical output was far less important than sort of virtue signaling about um whatever about racism um or um about you know tower blocks being burned down and it all being white people's fault or, yeah. or, or whatever that he he's become a he's become a a, a political figure mm. and i suppose one can salute his his low cynicism and that but that's about it but i don't think he is he any good i mean i don't yeah. like him but i have a no, taste I mean, anyway. my, my son saw him at glastonbury and said he was said his set was fantastic um, okay. And my son's got quite good taste, but I don't see it. I haven't heard any Stormzy, Stormzy music that I that I like. There's a difference between making you know a popular pop song and being a, a fantastic music that musical artist that should be studied in education, though, isn't there? You know, there's a very big difference there. Um, yeah, I suppose so. I suppose. No, I'm not sure that. I did musical appreciation classes at my prep school, and I'm not sure that it did much for my appreciation <laughs> of classical music, actually. Okay. Um, but 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 there was this there was this gay music master who um, who molested us all, um, so that may have been slightly off off putting. He used to kind of um, try and fill me up in my piano lessons. Oh, so, so I just, Wow. So I okay. Think yeah. Let's let's we're, let's, we're let's move back to the BBC. Um, uh, what would you like yeah. to see happen, James, with the BBC? As oh, um, just uh, forced to survive on the uh, in the open market. The, I don't think that. You see, my worry is that even if it were defunded, as it should be, I mean, I don't think I don't think that that, that license should be compulsory. I think it might still do quite well um, 
Which would be a shame, because I think it needs to be destroyed and rebuilt. And I'm not sure how that's going to... Um, for example, the, the BBC has got a very, very, very valuable back catalogue, doesn't it? Mm, think yes. about how wonderful it would be to, to go go back and look at, say, the the episode of the with Doctor Who and the Master, right. um, when he was played by Roger Delgado and the Morris dancers, the sinister Morris dancers. You, I'm sure you won't remember that episode, but I'd quite love to see that one again. Uh, or there was a brilliant series once. I'm, I, I'm not sure. It, it's probably been erased from the archives now but there was a series called Hawkmore which was about a, a, a Welsh rebel called Tumsian Kati and 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 he was fighting and there were, and there, there were lots of people in gibbets and stuff and and it was it was good um stuff like the sleepers on the hill brilliant spooky children's series yeah, the, the BBC has such heritage and this is why not just their entertainment though not just the entertainment you know the the education and informative side of their programs i used to like programs with john betjeman talking about churches and all kinds of things that no other station would do because they wouldn't touch it because it wouldn't make them any money that's what the bbc used to be great at yeah yeah yeah, absolutely um so but we've seen already in the recent in the recent purging of the uh, the airbrushing from history of mm. certain programs yeah. like I mean embarrassing um, Little Britain mm. chats you know, Williams and and um, what's the other one called oh, David gosh. Williams and it's gone um, yeah yeah it, yeah I, I find I get t- terrible aphasia, aphasia when I'm doing these doing this because yeah, yeah. you're on the spot names. yeah I know yeah, what you mean. yeah but but, but that you would have thought that the job of any artist is to stand up for his art yes. and say, look, this is the deal. Yep. This is what I did and and it, it was funny and it was right for its time and Matt Lucas. You know, I've Matt Lucas. Yeah. I've got no regrets because that was then and, and this is now. Yeah. Which is more or less the line Harry Enfield took mm. and, and and John Cleese. Who else? Sorry? John Cleese as well. John Cleese. Yeah. I mean, these people's names should be actually in, uh, inscribed on a on a plaque. The 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 heroes yeah. of of the Cultural Revolution. People who stood up for who was that? Who was the first footballer? Um, Matt Letizia. Yes. Yes. Wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Who refused to wear the BLN? Quite and right then, too. I was quite impressed by that. Um, is he from Senegal? I'm not, I'm not very good on my footballs. He was apparently the first yesterday to refuse to to wear a BLM badge for Sky. Right. And then yeah, because the stations are pushing them, aren't they? As well as the Premier League. They're getting pressure from every direction. Well, it is this. It is that, that deep state thing again. It mm. has its tentacles in every institution, as, as Gramsci intended. Um, but... Uh, where, was I, where was I going with this? The, the, the BBC, if the BBC thinks that its back catalogue is the um, is the property of woke BBC Inc, mm. then it deserves to be punished for this because actually it's part of our national heritage, yes. our cultural heritage. Yeah. And 
I don't mind paying for that, but I do mind very much paying if the BBC is going to censor its past mm. and give us an incomplete picture of what entertained us in the old days. Um, well, it's, I don't believe in censorship. If the BBC engages in censorship, I hope it will be... I wish that it could be punished by the market. I mean, that's the first job. Yeah. Our first job is to put it in a position where it is punished by the market. I'm with you completely on that. You know, to, from tearing down statues to removing programs from iPlayer and Netflix and all these things, I worry so much because once they've got rid of the TV and the statues, it's our books that are left. And, you know, we get into serious uh, danger when we get to that point. But also the logistics of the BBC, I think, the criminalisation of people that don't pay the licence fee. And we've talked about the bias. But also, I don't understand why their charter covers all live television. I get it when they first started and they, they were all live television. But now we've got, we've got hundreds of channels. Why should I pay the BBC if I just want to watch um, sport on Sky or something else on, on YouTube or, you know, just because it's live, why did they get money for it? And why am I under threat of prosecution if I don't pay them? It makes no sense in the modern day. That's, that's another problem, of course, that it is a, it's a quasi-monopoly. Hmm. It's, it's protected by, it's, it's got an historical advantage, which, which, is, which is a barrier, barrier to entry yeah. to new, uh, more agile organisations. I mean, how would you... It really has cradle to grave coverage, and I think back in the past that that you know how we used to, growing up as kids in the nineteen seventies, the, the amount of children's TV was quite limited. But there was so there was in the morning in the school holidays you would get things like the Crusaders and Robinson Crusoe and um, and um, the Flashing Blade, and then in the evening you'd get your you'd get Animal Magic with Johnny Morris, and you'd get the, the um, Magic Roundabout would always close the evenings. <laughs> you know, when somebody somebody would say it's time to bed, and that was time for you to probably right. go to bed as well as each other. So, but the BBC. What I'm saying is, the BBC's had this grip on, on our, our culture. And then, then you know, when I was travelling in 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 a car with my father, he would always put on the BBC News on mm. Radio Four mm. on the hour. And so you listen to that. And the BBC, so the BBC's controlled oh, our culture. That's awful now as well, isn't it? Radio 4, that's gone very woke, you know. I, I can't listen to it anymore. I'm on talk radio all the oh, time. Oh, come on. I, I won't even do that. I mean, no. even, even talk radio is too, too left-wing for me. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> I, I, well, I, no, I say that. I, I, was, being, I was being slightly, slightly mischievous. Um, I, I now have completely given up all forms of BBC radio my last holdout was the was the rock show um, but he, but radio one is just un, unbelievably woke and who's that again some of the DJs you know have been chosen not because they're the best available but because they, they push the right diversity yeah. buttons I'm not gonna mention her name but she recently she, I think she had a nervous breakdown recently. I mean, on on her show, because of, I, I, you think, well, like you've you've got this fantastic gig. Yeah. I don't know what the salary is for Radio One DJs, but you can earn all sorts of money on the sides, cutting ribbons or whatever. Or the salary is another issue, isn't it? They get paid far too much for a public service. Look, 
Look, look at the the BBC has a market distorting effect. Mm. So, for example, why have we got why are so many comics left wing? I think it's partly because the BBC pays you if you're a left wing comic. You know, there's all any number of of panel shows. Oh, that niche guy who's not even funny. Oh, it's just propaganda, isn't it? It's it's and it's not so much that they get massive appearance fees, but they they get promo. This mm. promo is mm. worth a lot to be endorsed by the BBC. Sure. And this was always my dream, going back full circle to the beginning of this conversation. Yeah. There really was a time in my early earlier career when I thought, yeah, one of these days I'm going to get some kind of show, a, a documentary series on mm. the BBC and it's going to be great and and no one's going to care what my politics are because i'm just going to tell an interesting story you were never that naive were you (laughs) i i do you know what calvin i am really quite sweetly innocent people people think i'm a i'm a hard bastard um because i don't take prisoners in print but actually i'm i'm very very naive and, and, and gullible and um i i sort of I suppose because it's, I believe in, I believe in social justice, man. I do, but I'm not the like true real sense social justice, yeah. where we where we are yeah. all equal. Yeah. Meritocracy where, is what we're talking we, about, isn't it? Merit, like I would, I wouldn't want a job at the BBC because I'm mixed race. I would want a job there because I'm bloody good at what I do, and that's where they, they trip up all of the time. I would be insulted, and, you, and people and you, around me would resent me if I got the job for, for the colour of my skin. And you so know that that would be the only reason. I mean, that, that, of course. I'm not saying I'm not saying a lot talented. I'm saying that <laughs> that's why they that yeah. is why yeah. they would recruit recruit you, and you know it. And it and it and it sucks. I totally totally agree. It completely sucks. Um, I I just don't understand why we can't live in a world where um, you you know you and I can chat without having to worry about treading on eggshells mm. or or. That, that there's some sort of weird power imbalance going on yeah. when there clearly isn't you know we're just blokes shit posting yeah. well, this is it actually ele- elevatedly shit posting like, <laughs> our, our conversation's been quite highbrow but you know we get along and it's not it, it, we don't need to be policed by by the cultural Marxists. I'm not sitting here thinking, James has got uh, privilege over me because of this and that and that, which is what they want me to be thinking. They want me in that victim mentality mindset of of saying, actually, this guy's oppressing me right now, you know, on the airwaves or however, because of his skin color. And that's, as long as people continue to believe that, people are oppressing themselves. They're holding themselves back. Well, of course, except you know what? People who are doing this are mostly white, white middle-class university graduates that's 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 the irony wasn't it one in six black lives matter protesters were black the rest of them were white middle class uh typical hippies weren't they that that so doesn't that so doesn't surprise me um yeah i mean certain members of my family i'm not going to i'm not going to go there because it's just too sensitive yeah that's not that's not (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i just get get into trouble but yeah it's Again, going back to what you said at the beginning, um, people say that the National Health Service is our religion, and but, but we should we shouldn't be distracted from that from the mission of de- of destroying the BBC as well. I say, why not destroy both of them? Yeah. 
they're both. I think the BBC and the and the NHS are the twin pillars of cultural Marxism. Somebody actually, somebody was saying on on Twitter or somewhere else today. Actually, and no, I, that's right. It's a friend of mine um, was saying, uh, we shouldn't call them Marxists because they love being called Marxists by by conservatives and they wear it as quite wrong. We should call okay. them what they are, which is fascists. I mean that. Yeah. So they are fascists. I think the twin pillars of fascism in the in the United Kingdom are the BBC mm. and the NHS, and I think that we're not going to solve this country's problems until we we knock those pillars down. And it's one of the few areas where I can identify with ISIS at Palmyra, <laughs> because because when I think of those of those pillars as being the NHS and the BBC suddenly I think yeah get out the Semtex now now well, I was going to compare it more to something a bit more civil like uh, Brexit because you can't reform from the inside can you you've got to smash it down and start again you know we tried for 40 odd years to fix the EU it doesn't work and people saying well we'll fix the BBC from within or the NHS from within okay people have been trying to do that these these are mammoth organisations that have grown too big for their boots. We need to whack them back down to shape and start again from scratch and do it properly. I think you're absolutely right well, on that. I think everything uh, only connect. Everything is part of the same the, the same problem. The, mm. the, I think that who was it who said this? Uh, Orwell, I think it was, who said that something to the effect that there's an awful lot of physical courage in the world an abundance of physical courage but virtually no moral moral courage yeah and i think that i think that people even though a lot of people may start like us being open-minded free thinking well mm. that's not a given but it's but it's I, i'm saying there's a possibility that's the case yeah but by the time people start knuckling under for their working lives and they start thinking about mortgages and, and you know their children's future and stuff they are all too willing to buy into the status quo rather oh, yeah. than challenging it and, and they'll mouth the right politically correct pieties and whether they they end up wasting their talents if they have any uh, as I don't know um, environmental scientists you know yeah. that's a complete waste of life or whether they or whether they go into the World Health Organization or whether they go into um, some woke law firm dealing with human rights they're all ends of the same giant giant stagnant turd yeah. aren't they yeah. it's just they it, I think you hit the nail on the head when you call it the deep state because I see this in schools. I see, I see this left-wing indoctrination by teachers to young people. They don't even realise they're doing it. Uh, they think because they're so self-righteous, they think they are naturally right and everyone who doesn't agree with them is naturally wrong or evil. They're happy to push their views on young people. And that goes with them through academia until they leave school and then they've got the BBC telling them this is right, that's wrong. So it's th throughout their whole life, this deep state is, is pressuring people into one way of thinking and it's very Orwellian how do you how on earth do you do you teach with your political views I mean because you know, it's not like you're, you're shy of, <laughs> no it's a good like question it. I've got in so much trouble over the, over the, over the years um, I, I just kept my politics separate for a while you know I talked about 
politics for the first time in the 2015 general election in the staff room and someone said to me so how are you voting and i didn't realize james they were being rhetorical the, the correct answer to that question is labor uh, but i said yeah conservatives and people were aghast they were literally jaws dropping like, what, what what but but you like children you, you don't hate children why would you vote for conservatives you're not an evil guy and that's when it all started yeah. it went downhill from there you know i've I've written a few pieces about that I've seen so much indoctrination around the EU, for example. Um, you know, the day after the referendum, I got to school. I was so euphoric because we actually won it. And I never thought in a million years that we'd win it, uh, that people would vote leave. And they did. I got to work, ready to teach. Um, such a good mood. I got pulled aside by the headmaster and the vice principal. They said, Calvin, now we know you're a Brexiteer, like very accusatory, like it's a bad thing. Um, don't, whatever you do, don't mention Brexit. And I'm like, yeah okay fine i came here to teach kids i wasn't planning to talk about brexit i do you know i study computer science what okay fair enough whatever so i go on with my day teaching my subject all around the school i'm hearing teachers saying i know it's awful oh it's terrible and we've seen the same thing in america with trump and then there's announcements on the pa system we're opening the chapel for anyone that's upset about what's going on in europe and with the country leaving the uh, the eu etc and people are saying to me, oh, we've got a lot of European kids. What are we going to do? I'm like, first of all, you're missing the point. This is not anti-Europe or anti-European children. But the fact that you're telling me to not speak about this, but everyone else is allowed to speak about this from a completely different perspective is, is a bias that you're not recognising and you need to check yourselves because this is left-wing indoctrination. This is Remainer indoctrination. Um, so obviously I didn't stay at that school after that, but it is tough to find a place where you can be free and open-minded in, in education in this country there are very few places where you know so with, without um, getting into it too much I worked at you know your friend Toby Young school fantastic place lots of diverse and I mean true diversity of thought and opinion at that school but not many of them exist yeah. in, in the state sector unfortunately have you been to Catherine Burbelson's school yet? I'm a director I'm a governor of that school yeah uh, Catherine is fantastic I've been a fan of hers for a long long time um, you know there's there's, there's, there's Michaela there's West London Free School, uh, there's Bedford, there's a handful of schools doing amazing things, but I hope the rest of the state sector can look at them and copy what they're doing and emulate it because you know, it's, we need more of it. The education system is in a dire straits at the moment. And I've completely yeah, gone I off thought, a tangent. But <laughs> you, you what, sorry? I've gone on a complete tangent there, but that's the state of, of education that no, we're in. No, 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 Calvin, we like tangents. I think that's, they're, they're really important. Because I'm, I'm interested in this. I look, look, it's not often I get to talk to actual school teachers at the sharp end. And so you, so you essentially got booted out of the school or sort of forced to leave because having wrong politics on Brexit, you know, you, it was too uncomfortable for you in the staff room. Yeah, absolutely. So how... I mean, I don't want to sort of expose you or anything, but like your current job, how, you, how, do, you, how do you get on there? Uh, so I've gone down to part-time teaching now because I was, um, I was a candidate in the election and I wanted to have a good run at it and help, help us secure Brexit. That's done now, so I, I'm not really involved in much politics other than, you know, this defund the BBC thing. But I teach a couple of days a week. I go into school, I do my teaching, I, I look after the kids and then I come home and I, then I do the politics and try and keep them compartmentalised uh, as best I can. But, you know, it's challenging. But, but, but OK, so, so being a teacher, there has to be, there's a staff room, right? There's always a staff room and, and, and there's, there's downtime where you sort of exchange. Because I spent, I've, I've, I've taught 
in in three short bursts, um, twice at Radley and once at my old school mall. Oh, yeah. And I thought it was the most exciting, fulfilling thing I've ever done. But also, actually more intense than fox hunting. Right. Just, just you you feel, and I'm sure I was doing it wrong. I'm sure I'm sure that um, uh, you, there's no way you could survive as a as a regular full time teacher putting that much energy into your classes because you die. You yeah. So yeah. so obviously I I would have found a sort of more laid back formula if I'd stuck with stuck with it, but. I remember the sort of the relief when you when you know you, you, you go and have your coffee and your and your much needed cakes or whatever and you you you, you circulate and you you make small talk it must be how do you do that if if you're a pariah like yourself I think it's all about finding the right setting like I couldn't do that where I was you know with the school I mentioned around the EU it's impossible um, you are ostracized essentially for having views that are not in line with groupthink so I, I had to do different things I left and I you know I ended up at, uh, at Toby Young school which was fantastic and I got on with everyone there and everyone's from a different different place um, and that's what you got to do you got to find the right setting and it's not just about yeah. you know it's not just about diversity of thought and opinion it's also about the right educational setting. So these schools we've talked about, these few good schools are looking at behavior, making sure that kids are on track because you can't get a good education unless you're behaving in your class. You know, so many kids in our country are missing out on learning because they've got brats who are doing whatever nonsense, distracting everyone else. And even that's a woke issue. It's like, oh, let the kids learn through play or oh, they're trying to communicate something to you through their misbehavior. No, they're just being bad. Kids need boundaries. They need guidelines. They appreciate that and they love that. They want some respect and that's how we give it to them. Uh, we're there to, to teach them and pass on knowledge. I'm not there to you know wipe their noses and, and keep saying, shut up, shut up, sit down, get on with it. That's not what I got into teaching for. And this, this is a part of that woke progressive agenda. Are you, are you quite strict? I mean, and what are your techniques? I'm, I'm fascinated by how you keep control when you've got kids who've maybe come from backgrounds where they haven't been subject to, to discipline of any kind. Yeah. What, do you, what do you do? So the greatest kindness that I can give a kid in my class is to be strict, is to say, actually, I'm not going to make a, a, a different expectations for you just because you come from a disadvantaged background or you're, or you're an ethnic minority or this and that these are people lower the standards and it's patronizing what i'm going to do is say you're going to, you are going to achieve this you're going to get the very best because i am the expert in this room i'm going to pass on my knowledge to you but you're going to sit there quietly pay attention and do your work and when you at the end of the day you're going to learn a lot more than if if I was one of these patronizing types that says, oh, you know what, you don't have to do your homework, you've got a tough home life. No, you've got a tough home life, that's awful, but you've got to work extra hard. You've got to work harder than everyone else because you want to get to the same level as them. Have you had any kids who've done really, really well, you know, in, in the field of computer science? Because, I mean, that, that's, that's the route to success, isn't it, these days? Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've not been teaching that long, uh, but I've got to the point now where I'm starting to get messages from kids that I taught years ago. They're saying, yeah, I'm at university studying your subject. And that, you know, that's heartwarming because, you know, you know, you've inspired them. You've, you've seen that spark in them and it's, it's flourished. And that's what we're there for, isn't it, really? Yeah. So do you, do you teach them how to learn to code? Yeah, indeed I do. Yeah. It's, you know, back when I was in school, we used to use computers and now we make them work and we, we program them and it's, kids love it. It's fantastic. And do you do, do you do Python? Yeah, that's probably the main language that we use most of the time. It's very accessible. What do you know okay. about Python? Ah, we're onto something here. James ah. has got some programming experience. Well, well, no, see, the thing is, I have a little brother ah. who is a tech entrepreneur. Oh, I who, see. Who, yeah, he works in Python. All his, all his team work in, work in, in Python. 
Right. And, um, well, I mean, I, I understand it's, he, he uses it, his, his techies use it to create algorithms which search databases okay. and mine them for information. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, data is the biggest currency in the world right now. And the shame is that most people don't even realize it, you know. Our data is more important to companies than any any other thing, including how much money we have. Uh, so people who can farm data and monetize that are onto something very special. Yeah, no, I, I can see that, I, I, that if you have a the kind of mind for it, that, that your classes would be actually the most important things that your the kids in that school could do. At the same time, do you not think, maybe you don't, but I think that there is too much fetishization of of stem subjects in the in that having perhaps the was a bias a cultural bias towards the arts you know that this is what um uh what's his face outlined in that two that famous two cultures speech um that that uh the sciences were undervalued but i think we've mm -hmm. gone too far the other way now look at the way for example our old enemy the bbc yeah. fetishizes science the science yeah. and, and anyone with a with a science degree or uh, whatever field is revered and put on a pedestal and given a a, a bbc half-hour radio program and we're and we're, we're 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 supposed to think that his word or her word is is, is gospel and it's not the case that what's missing i think from the stem subjects is that yes they're about logic and, and so on yeah but they don't teach you the art of critical thinking and actually critical thinking or rather the lack of critical thinking is what has got our culture into this massive mess at the moment people are not capable of standing inside and looking at things from first principles and saying well hang on a second we're told the scientists are telling us that the planet is warming at an at a unprecedented and catastrophic level yeah but actually what evidence do we have for this how can we be sure how do we know what is knowledge? How do we how do we, we, we decide what is true and what is untrue and, and, and so on? And I think that when I whenever I hear a politician talking about STEM subjects, I reach for my for my brownie because it's yet another yeah. it's yet another false idea, another sort of meme of the times. I think you're onto something in that it is pushed a lot and it is this whole, you know, science is the most important thing in the world and the arts are forgotten in schools. We need to put so much more emphasis on the arts. But saying that and I'm proud to say that all the schools that I've taught in computer science has been the most popular object, uh, most popular option. So students are okay. picking it. Yeah. So we're doing something right. But so I do some consulting for the DFE as well in trying to get computer science into more schools because the problem is not enough places are teaching it. So yes, we're emphasising how important it is, but only a handful of schools in London are teaching it properly because you know people with a computer science degree they go work for your brother or they go work at Goldman Sachs and they get paid a lot more money than they would doing teaching. So we need to try and get more computer sciences into schools, um, as well as pushing the arts as well. So there's a balancing act that we're not quite getting right, but I think we're working in the right direction. Well, isn't London is quite a good tech hub, isn't it? I, I, I think that in Europe we are the leader. I, mean, I suppose we, we're not as big as after Silicon Israel, Valley, maybe. Be... I think Israel's after Israel, maybe. Um, uh, yeah. So I think Israel. They do fantastic stuff. But I was in technology before I went into teaching, actually. And London is great. London is good. There's a nice hub there. But 
it's, there's a there's a cultural thing that is difference so I've spent some time in S S Silicon Valley San Francisco they love success they celebrate success they thrive off it if, if you're doing well yes go you in Britain we love an underdog we celebrate the underdog but the moment you reach success it's that everyone's waiting for you to fall although you know the, or they're waiting for you to fall over and kind of wait for you to fail they don't like success in Britain as much as they do in America in the tech scene at least that's something that I've noticed Oh my God, you, you, you just opened the can of worms there, Carmen. You, you must tell me, how, when you were working in Silicon Valley, I mean, how oppressive is the political correctness there? Oh, that's a good point. So I never really, at that point, raised politics at all. I wasn't that involved in politics, so I kept it stum. But since coming out, you know, since standing for election and writing a few articles here and there, I've had people from yeah. the tech scene, you know, particularly a video game scene actually uh, really really aggressive attitudes towards me this guy is, is he's a dangerous influence this guy is evil like really hyperbolic words yeah, just for are. stating my opinion yeah apparently all I'm doing is you know trying to educate kids and trying to do, do the right thing but apparently that makes me evil and dangerous so but why is um, why is the world of gaming so woke because I mean gamers aren't woke why, no. why is the, the tech side of gaming so woke? How did that happen? That's a good question. I don't know how it's happened, but it has become very much like the BBC. It's all the over-representation. Video games need to have a female lead character or a black lead character. They've got to tick all these woke tick boxes. They can't do anything controversial, say anything controversial, swearing and stuff like that. You know, Grand Theft Auto is the exception uh, that proves the rule, really. I don't know how it happened. Everyone who works in the industry is so ridiculously woke, but people who play games are, you know, they're shit posters of the internet. They're the most oppressed people online. Do you think it, is it possible that the people in gaming are on the spectrum and are not very good, not very socially well adjusted, so that when an idea comes along, a sort of powerful idea of how they think that they ought to behave to be normal, mm. they're they're susceptible to it and they lack the powers to discern that this is a false idea. I mean, it's just a theory I just invented on the spot, but is there anything in that? That might make sense because, you know, they're kind of adapting to the environment that they're in. Because I, uh, I got flown out to LA last summer to play a new Star Wars game that was coming out. Really, really amazing opportunity. Fantastic game. Went with all these games journalists, just me and as the right-wing person, the token right-wing person, with all these left-wing games journalists. Everyone was really nice. Yeah. Right. Everyone was fantastically pleasant and smiling to my face, having conversations about, you know what, Calvin, you're, in a, you're actually a decent guy, or you know, you should be a, yeah, a, yeah. able to have conversations like this, like we're having, and, yeah. and not get hostile. But the moment we got back to the UK, and people are back on Twitter, back online, it's, oh, this, this guy, this evil guy is posting this in the Telegraph, or oh, he's writing for the Daily Mail, what's wrong with him? It's, so it, as soon as they're out of that environment and back into their, their bubble, they get taken over by the wokeness again. So I think you might be onto something there. Yeah, I, I, I do. I mean, we, so we've had Gamergate. Yes, yes. Gate. Have there been any others? The, the, Milo Yiannopoulos sort of, was another one from the tech scene before, before Gamergate and before he got all uh, controversial. <laughs> who, who is this, sorry? Milo Yiannopoulos. So oh, yes, he, Milo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you see, it's interesting, isn't it? Milo, I... I I, I keep meaning to have him on the podcast to, to find out what's to catch up with him really because it's a lot's happened since yes. he got sort of cancelled. Uh, but 
Somebody said to me in one of the, the private chat groups I'm, I'm in, um, they said that he, they thought that Milo had done more to um, set the seeds for the Trump victory than any kind of high, highfalutin conservative commentator. I think, I think Milo was on his game. He's really, really good. He's he really gets the culture wars. Yeah, I think he's almost you know he, he's our Achilles in some ways. So I haven't spoken to you Milo know, for a long up. time, but you know we used to. We used to talk a bit when we were both in technology back in the day, and I think he's always been a contrarian. You know, he likes to have, he likes to stand out for the sake of standing out. He likes to jump on a bandwagon. So I don't know if he always believes what he's saying. He likes to get a reaction out of people, but he definitely made a difference for Trump in saying, you know, standing up saying, "I'm I'm gay, but I don't believe in gay marriage," or, or you know, that Trump isn't a racist because of X, Y, and Z, and really saying things that a lot of people weren't saying at the time, and paved the way for other less uh, controversial figures to come up and say similar things mm. yeah yeah well i think that that's a reminder that i must must speak to him although he's he is a psychopath i, <laughs> I, think, he, I think i think even he knows that you know you, you you suck with a long spoon i think he's the most charming fascinating company but at the same time he's he's dangerous and and fickle yeah absolutely. um so so just going back to the the, the teaching thing, because again, I don't get to talk to teachers, mm. especially not conservative teachers. I'm just, does it does it pay? Uh, I mean, can you make it the money? Shit, Absolutely, it? it does pay. Um, without going into personal things too much, the progression is, can be quick. I mean, within a couple of years, I was a head of department. A couple of years after that, I was a senior leader, helping run a school and build built a new school. And um, you can progress financially at the same speed if you're good at what you do and you, you you know it's easy to prove results everything's very tangible in school you know there's there's so much bureaucracy that you have to demonstrate everything you're doing so if you're good at your job absolutely there's money in it but the financial side of okay. teaching has been blown way out of proportion because everyone's always begging the government for more money schools don't need more money schools are doing fine what there's lots of mismanagement like the nhs and like the bbc you know you've got people overspending lots of middle management all kinds of nonsense that could be cleared out and get back to simple basics teacher at the front of the room blackboard chalk or whiteboard pen that's all you need and some textbooks and exercise books yes it's often the case isn't it i've noticed this that when i sent um my son to uh he got a scholarship to a, a prep school hmm. and i think that the prep school was using lower tech than my daughter was getting at her her state school. Mm. You know, they had they had interactive whiteboards in the, at the state school, and the, and the prep school was, I think, chalk and you know blackboards, which is which is yeah. what you need. Um, yeah. Do you do you see anything to give us people like us any sign of hope at the moment? Yes. I mean, Michael Gove's new reforms in the curriculum were fantastic they shaped the way for a knowledge rich curriculum focusing on the learning and less on all the extra fluffy stuff that was clogging up school for so long and there was a lot of backlash around that but we're finally getting to a point now where we've got enough evidence schools like Michaela Catherine Burblesing school that have have naysayers since day one they've got outstanding in Ofsted they've got best results in the country at GCSE so we're starting to see results from what Michael Gove put in place so that people can't argue against it anymore the progressives can well they can argue all they like but you know we're showing that it works 
Right. Okay. Well, I, I, thank you for that sort of. And look, finally, I wanted. Uh, well, I've got you because you're a you're a computer techie. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm. You know, I'm. I'm on Patreon at the moment and not right. on, on subscribe star. And I get. I hear different things. Some people say, "Oh, they'll they're going to cancel you one day, and mm, and, yeah. and and then where will you be?" And yeah. and. I sort of think, well, that's a bit worrying because, like, there's not much freedom of speech already, and that yeah. would be much worse if the world is deprived of me. Um, how much sense would it make to create my own website where people, you know, which did the same thing as Patreon and Subscribestar, or would the complications be so? Are, are there too many chinks in the armor? For example. The, the payment processing is that where they get you or or do you, yeah. you see what I'm, I'm, I'm feeling towards you tell me the, what's the answer so I would say uh, first of all I've got to plug um, gofundme.com forward slash defund hyphen the hyphen BBC if people want to uh, support the cause oh they should <laughs> come and they, they totally should Absolutely. I, I I think it's what could be a finer cause yes defund the BBC and support oh actually before you answer my question Tell me how Defund the BBC started. Um, so James Ugell, he's a young conservative on Twitter, part of the YC movement, um, started a hashtag and opened a Twitter account that started gaining momentum. Um, he got myself and Darren Grimes on board to kind of talk to people about it and be champions of the cause because, you know, we've done a lot of campaigning in our past. And, it, yeah, just a natural grassroots movement that's it's gaining some good traction. So hopefully we'll see something come of this, I think. How many members have you got? Um, so there's just four members involved uh, on, the, on the campaign team. No, 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 but, but I mean, how many so, sort of... So, I, I know you had a massive load of followers on Twitter. And let's stuff. have a look. I'll bring it up real quick. Um, so I could say we've raised £14,000 so far, and we've got 80,000 followers on Twitter. That's a lot. That's good. That's more than I've got. Yeah, and it's, in it's a good. much shorter space. Popular cause, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, you know... Now, so, now you can answer my... We've tapped into something here that I think in this country, like I said, we support the underdog. People like the little man, and we are the little man. We are, we are the everyman. We're fed up of being told what to think and what to do by by the big dogs in the BBC. And it's like with Brexit, you know, people people want to be heard and they don't want to be trod on. So I think we're onto something. But but to answer your question, yeah, I think do separate yourself if you can. So I got cancelled. I got cancelled on PayPal once. They locked my account with with thousands of pounds in it. It took me a long time to get that back. Uh, we've seen you know people getting banned from Twitter, people getting banned from Facebook. GoFundMe have banned some people as well. Uh, Patreon have. If you're if you're right wing or on the right of of, of the le of the extreme left that we are in, that is now the centre, you're you're in trouble. You kind of always on eggshells about when you're going to get cancelled from the, the latest lefty platform. So if you can get a web team, get something set up that's independent, and it's a lot of work, but it's worth doing in the long run. Have you... Have you well, uh, I won't be doing it. Well, yeah. Cameron, I won't be doing it. <laughs> yeah, I'll pay somebody to do it. The question is, is it worth paying somebody to do it? And what are the pitfalls? Because uh, this would be a service to other people as well, I'm sure. That what, what are the... Where can they get you? Because wherever the weakest link is, that's where they'll get you. So, I mean, are the, are the payment processing people who are not going to throw you to the wolves for example um 
what, what are the other pitfalls that I need to look out for? I think if we're talking about the most accessible route, I would say probably diversify. So have a GoFundMe and a Patreon or have a PayPal and a Skrillex or something else as well. Have different multiple options for people to pay. So if one does get locked while you're battling that, you've still got another revenue model um, that's going on at the same time. There isn't really anything that's safe for us you know even parlor or parlay whatever you want to call it they said you know we're the we're the free speech platform opposing twitter and even they've been banning people on the left which i completely disagree with uh recently you know if we're going to be the free and the freedom of expression platform and we're going to support people talking we need to ex we need to expect people to come from the extreme left as well as us people on the right um it's not okay to be shutting down anyone because we don't like it when it happens to us did you say i need a skrillex i think it's course i, I like I like Skrillex. Not the band. I saw him at Glastonbury. <laughs> so it's Pe fantastic. What's actually um, interesting one of, the, is... one, of the, one of the best gigs I've I've seen actually. Um, <sighs> but so I didn't realize that Skrillex was a, was also a thing. Well, what you might find interesting, PayPal was actually started by uh, quite a sound group of individuals. You know, Peter Thiel is one of the few people in technology who's working with Trump, and he's been like, you know what, we want to get stuff done. We're not going to say no, he's evil because he's right wing, and he's been great on that. But now PayPal is obviously it's come a long way since those days, and it's it's just another woke organization. Yeah, I it is it is this is what because I think I'm not, I'm so lovely and warm and cuddly and and sweet. And like I'm like a little kitten. Um, <laughs> um, I'm, you know, I, I. You'd think that this would protect me, you know. That, yeah. that, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, not just a lovely kitten. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not homophobic. I'm not, I'm not racist. Yeah. <laughs> but I, they don't care. No. They, they don't fucking care, do they? They, they just want to. It's, it's not how nice you are or how reasonable you are. It's just like... Are you one of them? Left. Yeah. You've got, yeah. If you're not them, it you're is. the enemy. It is invasion of the body snatchers. Like, either you're, either you're a pod creature or you're a, or a human. And if you're a human, they want to convert you into a pod creature. There it is. Absolutely spot on. So I think we've, I think we've come okay. full circle in this. Um, Kelvin, it's been, I, I, it's been a great delight meeting you. I mean, given that this only happened like when he sent me an email this morning and uh i said i vaguely recognize you but, you know i do recognize you i mean you you're sort of i see your face around cheers, I mean, cheers. um and but it's but it's great it's, it's great to meet you i'm, I'm sorry that i'm mistaken for a child uh, <laughs> no, it's a compliment james honestly it's been great to talk to you because i think we we agree on pretty much most of this but it's still been an engaging conversation which is you know it's always a challenge isn't it when you when you're talking to people that are so like-minded are you just going to say yes yes or is there going to be something there uh, so it's been yeah it's been fascinating i don't bind I, I tell you one of my 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 bugbears my bete noir is people who say i don't want to be in an echo chamber right. and, and i say to them look fuck's sake take a look at the world mm. take a look at the world that the left has created and okay so you don't want to be in an, an echo chamber what you want to be in the world where where as soon as you venture any kind of opinion that, that is not left wing you're going to get shot down and cancelled is that your preferable alternative because i can tell you an echo chamber is a much nicer place to be in what people are trying to say is look i'm very diverse i'm very inclusive that's what they mean by that isn't it Again, they're trying to tick those work checkboxes. <laughs> Not the word I'd use, but... Yeah, I, I, no prisoners, I say. Anyway, Calvin, lovely to talk to you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to people enjoying this podcast. Oh, by the way, um, if you enjoyed this podcast, of course you did. 
Uh, don't forget to sponsor me on Patreon and subscribe star until they cancel me. I don't think they will, actually. I don't think they will, but this could be my famous last words. Anyway, thank you. Oh, and, and defund the BBC, of course. Good night to that as well. <laughs>